Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12, and please do not stand, because I want to tell you a story first before I read. I know you, I I actually uh, love starting my sermons with, please open your Bibles, because we're going to use them. But don't stand, because I want to tell you something first. I'm going to tell you a story about someone who is very dear to me and my family, someone I was very close with. This person came to faith as a high schooler and went to Christian college, went on to be uh, a pastoral intern at a church, became a pastor, got married, had kids, was called to the mission field, served there for a time, came back, was a pastor again, And then one day, I, I hear that he and his wife claim that they no longer believe. I couldn't believe the news. But they, they say they no longer are walking with the Lord. And, and not just that they have doubts and are wavering, but that they have decisively left the faith. Influenced by people such as William Lobdell and atheist Christopher Hitchens. And I did not believe it at first. And I still have trouble reconciling the news with what I witnessed firsthand in their lives. What I would have considered to be unmistakably the fruit of the Spirit working in them. A record of fruitful life and ministry. A desire to reach the lost. I remember one of them said at one point, if we don't go, who will? And as painful as it is for me to admit, I must conclude that they were either not believers to begin with, or they are grossly deceived at this point in their lives and cannot, cannot see straight spiritually. Now, every one of us probably knows someone like that and if they're truly saved God will bring them back what I'm about to read brings us face to face with with sin and forgiveness and eternity and where we each stand with the Lord Jesus Christ I'm going to read Matthew chapter 12 verses 22 through 32 Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, 
By whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. This is God's Word. And Lord God, we, as we come to your Word today, we, we tremble at your Word. I think in your Word how you say that this is the one to whom you will look. The one who trembles at your Word. And Lord, we need you, and we need you to help us understand these words. And Lord, we pray in thankfulness that you are a forgiving God. And we pray that none of us, nor those we love and and those we know, would commit the sin that cannot be forgiven. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sobering words. But this we know, God forgives sin. God is a forgiving God. It's one of the first things you you learn about Jesus and the Bible is that God freely forgives those who humbly come to Him, those who admit their sin, those who, who turn from their sin and admit that they need His forgiveness. God forgives. In Matthew 12, these words that I just read we see the truth as God reveals it that that a lot of sin is forgivable. But there is one sin that is not. And so we need to know what that one sin is. Now when we come to the topic of the unpardonable sin, the first thing we've got to ask is, of course, what is it? Well, once we figure that out, we've got to ask, have I committed it? Or am I any, in any danger uh, at some point in the future of committing it? And once we get that settled in our hearts, we've got to ask the question, is there anyone I know and love who has committed this sin? Or is in any danger of committing this sin? This is important stuff. So we need to know what it is and who is in danger of committing it. Here's what we see in these verses by way of a uh, a main point. It's this. In in relation to this this teaching of Jesus about the unpardonable sin, Jesus wants us to align ourselves with Him fully so that we would experience forgiveness fully from Him. Those who align themselves fully with Jesus experience His full forgiveness. Those who align themselves with Jesus fully don't commit the unpardonable sin. 
They're in no danger. Now, the last time we were in Matthew, we looked at verses 15 through 21 of chapter 12. And we got a God's eye view of Jesus and the gospel. And we saw that God's word applied by the spirit of God gives us the ability to see Jesus as he really is. And, and, not buy, and help, it really protects us from buying into false ideas about Jesus that are rampant. They were back then, they are now. Now here is an opportunity to put verses 15 through 21 into practice because right away someone totally trashes that teaching. Right in front of Jesus, to Jesus' face. Bold-faced to Christ. So let's pick it up at verse 22. It's a situation that we see, first of all, that led to Christ's response and also to his ultimate verdict. But the situation, and we'll start in verse 22, is that someone was healed. That's a good thing. A a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, mute, taken over by a demonic influence, and therefore unable to speak or talk, uh, speak or see, excuse me, um, is brought to Jesus. They, they bring him uh, to him. And the idea here is that someone cared enough about this man to bring him to the one who could do something about his predicament. That's what God wants us to do. Care enough about people that we go out of our way to expose them to Jesus. So what did Jesus do here? Well, not surprisingly, he healed him. He he cast the demon out, and then the man was able to see and speak. It was unmistakable. It wasn't done in a corner. It wasn't hidden. It was done before their eyes. And the response, you see in verse 23, is that people were amazed. They were astonished at the common response to Jesus, then and now. The idea of being amazed literally meant that they were outside of themselves, literally beside themselves with with wonder. Uh, They could barely contain their excitement. You know how it feels when you barely can contain your excitement. Some of you are going to feel like that later on this afternoon when you're watching uh, uh, the game for which this national holiday has been set aside. (laughs) Why do you think I wear a suit today? No, that's not why I won't. It's cold outside. <laughs> Common response to Jesus, amazed in the presence of Christ. And, and they were, barely could contain themselves, and, and their amazement led them to ask a question. Can this be the son of David? The Messiah? The promised deliverer? The one who would deliver his people from their sins? Now the question is interesting because it assumes a negative answer. The, the question they're really asking is, this can't be the Messiah, can it? And maybe it was out of fear of the Pharisees. Maybe it was because they were skeptical. But whatever the case, the, the Pharisees pounced on the opportunity. And, and it's like in soccer. You have a breakaway, and, and you're going for the goal, and all of a sudden the other team steals it and goes just as strong the other way. Well, the people were amazed at Jesus, and all of a sudden the Pharisees grabbed that and go the opposite direction with it. And the Pharisees' response showed that some just won't believe. Some 
wouldn't believe, and it was them. Verse 24. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said, This man cast out demons by the ruler of the demons. Yes, it was ludicrous then, too. Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Because it is. They could not and they would not accept the fact that the supernatural authority of the Messiah marked the coming of the kingdom. And it was real. It was true. It it existed. But they could not and would not accept that truth. So instead of praising God for what they had seen and heard, they credited Satan. It's preposterous. It's Their contempt for Jesus showed in in the word they used as well. They used the word this, and it was a a degrading way of saying, this man, as they're probably looking down upon him. People were amazed at this man being healed, and some wouldn't believe. And next we see a response, verses 25 to 29. Jesus answers their accusation. He He knew their thoughts, verse 25 tells us. He knows ours too, by the way. And we all know that. Of course, we say, oh, God knows everything. Jesus knows everything. But if only we could always be aware that God knows everything. if If we could only be aware that God is always with us and God knows everything, as Psalm 139 tells us, even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all, before it even comes out of my mouth, By the way, next week we're going to look at the power of of words and the next thing that Jesus says here. But wouldn't it be wonderful if we we could always keep that in the forefront of our minds? If so, we would be so much more careful with our words, wouldn't we? And the things we say. The things we let out past our teeth. So knowing their thought processes and And why they said what they said, Jesus says this. Every, and by the way, he's just speaking common sense. He says, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. No kingdom, no city or house divided against itself will stand. By the way, you know this firsthand. If your house is divided, it's not a place of peace. If a city is divided, it's not a place of peace. And if the kingdom is divided, it's not a place of peace. It's, it, it can't endure. Division can never endure. So in Jesus' response, you see really three descriptions of God's kingdom that we need to embrace because he wants us to align with him fully so that we would recognize and embrace him as our king and experience his forgiveness fully. So the first thing we see about God's kingdom that Jesus is pointing out is that it cannot be divided. God's kingdom cannot be divided. Verse 26. It says, If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? A crazy accusation. It's illogical. And think about for a moment even what Jesus is saying here. You know, we know that Satan is not all-knowing. We know that he's not all-powerful. We know that he is not all-present. But he is powerful and he is the father of lies and he does disguise himself at times as an angel of light 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. he deceives he is the most self-deceived being ever and thinking he can overpower God and rob his kingdom 
how much more self-deceived do you need to be? But he does not cast himself out. Now, Satan may try to do a, maybe uh, deceive someone into thinking that a, a, maybe a demon has been cast out and it's a, a, a false thing so that the demon is still there, but he doesn't cast himself out. Now, in Satan's kingdom, there is no harmony, there is no loyalty in his evil kingdom, but he does not allow disobedience and rebellion. He's not going to go against himself. It's, so what you see is the, the Pharisees being inconsistent and, and even biased. Verse 27, he says, If I cast out demons by Beelzebul, this is what Jesus is saying, if I do that, just tell me, by whom did your, do your sons do it? Now, it wasn't necessarily their, their literal sons. It was their followers, those that they would be in league with. That they, by the way, uh, Josephus talked about Jewish uh, exorcists, people that would cast out demons, trying all sorts of crazy words and, uh, and uh, recipes and, and, uh, and, and phrases to cast demons out. It was a common occurrence. Uh, that they would be trying to do. But the Pharisees, Jesus is asking them like, so if, if, if I'm doing this wrongly, what do you say about your own people who are doing the same thing or trying to do the same thing? The Pharisees approved of people uh, trying to cast demons out, but not of Jesus casting out every kind of demon and healing every kind of disease. Isn't that interesting? They would approve of people who didn't have the power to do it but the one who had the clear power to do it they didn't want anything to do with because why because he was exposing them but what you see is that god's kingdom cannot be divided and also that god's kingdom has come god's kingdom has come verse 28 he says if it is by the spirit of god that i cast out demons then the kingdom of god has come upon you and we know that the kingdom of god had come jesus had said it had and this kingdom of God had come, evidenced by miracles, evidenced by him beginning to bind Satan and to plunder his house. It was indeed by God's spirit that Jesus operated. That, that's how God wants us to operate. As believers, in the spirit of God. Letting the spirit, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Jesus was basically giving us the, the supreme model of how to live as a believer that we are to live by the spirit we are to uh, operate in the spirit's power that's what Jesus did think about Philippians 2 he emptied himself by becoming obedient to the point of death taking upon himself the, the form of a bond servant but Jesus operated in the power of the spirit his kingdom had come God's kingdom had come the problem was that the Pharisees were in rebellion to God. A rebellion against God. Jesus continues in verse 29. How can someone enter a strong man's house and, and you know, steal all his stuff? Plunder. A great, you know, pirate kind of word, right? Plunder his goods. Take it all. Unless he first binds the strong man. He's got to bind that strong man up first. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Jesus came to plunder Satan's house, his domain, to bring to nothing his hold on people. Many of you are proof positive of that fact. 
What does the Bible tell us? That once you're in Christ, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness, the domain of Satan into the kingdom of his, of his son. That's what God has done. Third thing we see about God's kingdom here is that God's kingdom is free of blasphemy, uh, damning blasphemy, which we see lastly in the verdict that Jesus lays down in, in verses 30 through 32. And Jesus' verdict points to some very uncomfortable truths as it relates to mankind's depraved nature and, and the depths to which people will go in sin, as well as some amazing truths about God's majesty and God's mercy that we cling to. So therefore, Jesus says in verse 30, whoever is not with me is against me. And if you don't scatter with, gather with me, you scatter. So it's with or against that's easy to fi- figure out. And gathering or helping with the harvest as opposed to scattering, hindering the work. Hindering the cause. There are only two options available to us with relation to Jesus. We are either for or against. We are either with him or against him. There is no neutral position. No one can say, well, I'm just kind of in the middle with Jesus. You can't be. Being well, I'm just, you know, indifferent, then you're against him. Well, I just, you know, he's a good guy, but, well, then you're against him. You're either all in with Jesus or you're not with him at all. Makes it really clear. Jesus said it. If you're, if you're, if you're with me, you're with me. If you're against me, if you're not with me, you're against me. If you're not gathering, if you're not in the process, then you're scattering, and that's, that's not good. Verse 31, he says, therefore I tell you, and he will get to the kind of the heart of the matter. He said, every sin and blasphemy, interesting that he, he separates the two, because blasphemy is sin, but it's a bad sin. <laughs> well, all sin is bad, but this, this is something that could lead you to, to never be forgiven. But what he says, though, is he says, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven. Now, that doesn't mean that there's some universalist type of teaching where everyone's forgiven. What it means is if somebody comes to Christ and wants to be forgiven, they will be forgiven. But if you don't want to be forgiven, you're not going to be forgiven against your will. It's just not going to happen. Now, he says every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Verse 32, he says, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And then he says, in this age or the one to come, there will not be forgiveness for them now or later. So this is really, really serious stuff. You you don't make jokes about this. This is sober. The unpardonable sin of blasphemy against the Spirit. The depths of depravity of mankind on display. So we need to know what it is. First thing I'll say is this. It is specific. Just in case you're sitting there today and, or you're listening to this and you're wondering, hey, um, I wonder if I've done this. Well, it is specific. It's not some general category of sin. Uh, case in point the the wording again in verse 31 
the blasphemy against the Spirit. There is a sin you can commit that won't be forgiven. Now I want to give you four marks of the unforgivable sin. And I just want to say before I, I, I give you these that it's really tough to say 100% where anybody is. Only God knows, right? OGK, one of my favorite little, you know, I guess that's an acrostic, isn't it? Only God knows. Only God knows where every person is. Um, so it's tough to say wherever, where anyone is 100%, but, but it's safe to say that if, if you're doing these things, you're too close to the fire. If someone's doing these, it's safe to say they're, they're, their soul's probably in danger. Number one, attributing God's work to Satan. That, that's what happens here. Verse 24, it's hostility towards Jesus to the nth degree like the Pharisees exhibited. So attributing God's work to Satan. The second is denial of Christ's deity, that he is God. Now how hard must it have been for Christ's disciples to remember on a daily basis that here was walking, talking, living, eating, drinking with them was God in the flesh. That had to have been pretty tough. And they probably didn't always remember it. But some realize it and reject it. Some know it to be true and reject it. The Pharisees, what they saw right then, there was no way, no way they couldn't know. They knew. In fact, Jesus uh, is, 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 a, is talking about them. third thing is uh, refusal to accept blatant you know truthful living proof verse 22 again verse 22 here's this demon oppressed man who was blind and mute and they were brought he was brought to Jesus and Jesus healed him and the man spoke and the man saw he couldn't when he walked into the room and then he could. And it's, it was obvious. It was blatant. It, it was undeniable. But they still denied it. They, re, they refused to accept blatant, truthful, living proof. And it's not just unbelief. It is persistent, determined unbelief. One writer called it the conscious disputing of the indisputable. The conscious disputing of the indisputable. It, it's, it's the idea of refusing to respond to the conviction of the Spirit. Think about maybe Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. Uh, 2 Timothy 2. There's two men pointed out here that uh, I don't know exactly where they were, but I wouldn't want to be in their shoes. And either would you when you read what they, what, what, what about them. 2 Timothy 2. Verse 14. Remind them of these things. What things? That if we have died with Christ, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. That will, those were uh, thought to be an early Christian song that they sang. 
And, 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 and Paul says to Timothy, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people to, into more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like cancer. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. So you would probably infer that those two aren't his. Overall, the blasphemy against the Spirit involves rejection of God's gift of salvation, rejection of gospel truth. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So um, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is a full and final rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the, 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 the wild thing is that I, I have preached so many times and said, it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment, which that stands, that's in Hebrews. But it seems to be that Jesus is pointing to the fact that there, there can be a full and final rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ before you're dead. Sometime while you're still living on earth. When you go for a, uh, an, in, an indefinite period of time and you're not getting saved, there's going to be no repentance for you. There's no room left. You've gone too far. You've tasted, you've nibbled, you've sampled, but you haven't entered fully in with Christ and it's too late. Full and final rejection of, of the Lord Jesus Christ on the part of a person exposed to the gospel and who may have even experienced some of the residual benefits of the gospel and still blasphemes. Speaking a word against Jesus, what's that? Because that, it says, will be forgiven. I would not recommend anyone to go around speaking words about, against Jesus. But speaking a word against Jesus is rejecting the truth of the gospel. Some of the youngest among us never did that. They heard the gospel and they believed. I, on the other hand, heard the gospel many times and did not believe. Many times I rejected the gospel. Held God at arm's length. God's grace, irresistible as it is, broke through the hardness of my heart. But, there are many who continue to speak a word against Jesus to the point that they blaspheme the Holy Spirit. See, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is rejecting the truth in full awareness that that is exactly what one is rejecting. It is willful rejection of the work of the Spirit when it is very obvious, when it is beyond a doubt. D.A. Carson put it this way, our past participation in the blessings of the gospel are only valid if we continue in it. Our past participation in the blessing of the gospel are only valid if we continue in it. That's the perseverance of the saints. Those who leave Jesus show they never belonged to Jesus. You might want to jot these verses down. Hebrews chapter 6. Verses 4 through 6. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31. 
1 John 2 and verse 19. 2 John verse 9. These verses show how much of the truth can be sampled without coming to the place where there is no turning back. To come that far and reject the truth is unforgivable. Jesus is saying here in Matthew 12, if you know that his ministry is of the Spirit, and for whatever reason credit it to Satan, there is no forgiveness. And this is the verdict of the one who has authority to forgive sins. Matthew chapter 9, verses 5 through 8. So we have it on good authority. Now something this passage points to, and the implications are very sobering, is tied to the phrase, no forgiveness. It's the unquenchable fire of judgment on unbelievers. There will be an unquenchable fire reflecting the majesty of Christ the King and the gravity of Christ the Judge. As King, He is sovereign. He decides who is in or out of His kingdom. As Judge, He holds every person accountable for their response. And I will just say that every believer ought to love people so much that they appropriately are suspicious when things don't seem right. In the life of one who says they believe. Don't be afraid as you lovingly and compassionately share the gospel without an ounce of superiority, but because you love them, that somehow you will turn them away from God. They already did that. You're calling them back. If someone claims to be a Christian, that they're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed in God's word alone, for God's glory alone, then there should be evidence. The fruit of God's spirit working in their life. But if not, be appropriately suspicious and act accordingly. Don't ignore the peril that your soul may be in. Don't ignore the, the peril that someone you know and love's soul may be in. Don't hold on to a false or empty hope. Oh, they prayed a prayer once. If there's no fruit, there might be no life. Don't pass up an opportunity that God gives you to, to speak gospel truth into a person's life. God did not say anywhere in Scripture that everyone who prays the prayer will be saved. The Bible says believe. That means trust completely in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And it also says faith without works is dead. Last thing I'll mention is the imperishable inheritance of God's children. We see the mercy of Christ our King. It's in that key word, forgiven. The unquenchable fire of judgment on believers is seen in those, those key words, not forgiven. But here, the imperishable inheritance of God's children is, is beautifully seen in, in the word forgiven. Forgive means to send away. It means to let it go. It means to permit entrance now we all commit many sins that can be forgiven I would just say don't let those sins that can be forgiven choke off your life in Christ and put you in, put you in peril of having the life that is in you called into question because nobody can see anything going on 
1 John 1, 9 makes it very simple how we can come clean with God and be forgiven. God is faithful to do that when we confess our sins, to forgive us. Hey, look, most of us drive. And if you don't drive, you go in a car with people who do. And either they who are driving or those on the road sometimes swerve. Sometimes they swerve because they're talking on the phone. Sometimes they swerve because they're texting. Sometimes people swerve because they're drunk. Someone could swerve because they just passed out and they're having a medical emergency, right? You don't know. Well, there are some people who walk in the truth. It seems like everything's going great. And then they swerve for no apparent reason. But there's always more going on behind the surface than we can see, and all you can do is leave it and them in God's hands. Every sin that is not blasphemy against the Spirit can be forgiven. Any sin for which you sincerely seek Jesus' forgiveness will be forgiven. A person may reject Christ at one point in their life and then turn and believe later on. Like Paul. Now there is forgiveness for that. He even said that he was a persecutor and a blasphemer and a violent aggressor. But you've got to know this. God's kids are secure. He is not going to cast out the one who comes to him. But let me just say this in closing. Like tender gums after flossing, tender souls bleed easy. They're sensitive to the Spirit of God. And many tender souls fear that they have somehow committed the unpardonable sin. Maybe they've said a word against God. Maybe they read this and they have this temptation to say something against God or even against the Spirit of God and they live terrified that they have committed the unpardonable sin. They haven't. You haven't, if that's you. The Bible is true and you can stake your life on it. Jesus said, John 6, 37, the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. What is in God's hand cannot be snatched away. God tells us in Hebrews 12 that he disciplines those who belong to him, proving sonship. But we are kept in Christ because of him. We will persevere because he is faithful. We have assurance. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing, John 15, 5. And that means be saved, get to heaven, get through today or tomorrow or the next day. As they say, should the Lord tarry and the creek don't rise, right? Let me just say, humble child of God, if you sincerely want to be forgiven, you will be. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are who you say you are. Thank you, Lord, that your humble children with tender hearts are have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we ought never to despair, but we are to be obedient. We are to reverence you. We are to be in awe of your holiness. We are to align ourselves fully with you so that we would experience forgiveness fully from you. And Lord, we know that to look at ourselves does lead us to despair, but what keeps us on track in in the forgiveness Uh, category is is a fresh look at Jesus fresh look at you so Lord I just pray that 
you would give us a fresh look at yourself, a fresh view of yourself today and every day that you give us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.